I'm Emma Pickett, and I'm a lactation consultant from London. When I first started calling myself Makes Milk, that was my superpower at the time because I was breastfeeding my own two children, and now I'm helping families on their journey. I want your feeding journey to work for you from the very beginning to the very end, and I'm big on making sure parents get support at the end too. Join me for conversations on how breastfeeding is amazing and also sometimes really, really hard. We'll look honestly and openly at that process of making milk. And of course, breastfeeding and chest feeding are a lot more than just making milk. Let's start by talking about how breastfeeding journeys end. How does weaning happen? whether it's parent-led or child-led, what are some of the options? So one option is self-weaning, what we sometimes call child-led weaning. This is when the child completely takes the lead, that they gradually reduce the breastfeeding on their own terms as their needs are met in different ways, as they gradually realise that they don't need breastfeeding, they become less emotionally dependent on it, and that process is slow and gentle and it will take weeks and months rather than, than days. If a child is going to self-wean, when might we naturally expect that to happen? You might see references online to the worldwide average age of weaning, but I'm not sure that's an entirely useful concept. I'm not the only person to, to think that. When you're thinking about weaning, I would signpost you to the work of Catherine Detweiler. She's an anthropologist. She does a lot of work on the natural age of weaning. She points out that we live in a society where there's a huge variation and worldwide there's a huge variation. We've got some people breastfeeding for just a few days, just a few weeks, going back to work outside the home. And we've got other societies where people have less, less cultural pressure to need to end breastfeeding. So with that massive worldwide variation, is it super useful to try and come up with some kind of average? She talks about a study being done prior to the 1940s where 64 traditional, in inverted commas, societies were studied. And in those societies, the median duration of breastfeeding was around 2.8 years. But what's probably more useful is to try and switch off some of the cultural noise around how long we breastfeed for. And let's think of humans as just being like other large primates. So Kathy Detweiler did some work comparing us to other primates and to see what biologically would be normal for us. So she picked six comparison tools and she said, OK, let's look at when first permanent molars emerge, because that's often a time of weaning in primates. For humans, that would be around six years old. She said, OK, gorillas and chimpanzees breastfeed for around six times the length of their baby's gestation. If we apply that marker to humans, that puts us at around four and a half years. Larger mammals often nurse their infant until they've quadrupled in birth weight. That puts humans at around two and a half to three and a half years. She said other primates nurse their infants until they're about a third of their adult weight. For humans, that puts us at around five to seven years. And boys would breastfeed longer than girls in that situation. Other non-human primates breastfeed until their children are about halfway to sexual maturity. That would put humans at around seven years. And then she said, also, let's look at when we completely develop our immune system. So humans don't have a fully mature immune system until they're about six years of age. So it would make perfect sense that evolution is sort of hoping that we'll have access to the active immunities provided by breast milk until that point, around six years. 
She points out, Detweiler points out that list could have gone on and on. She could have used lots of other comparables. But when you just use those markers, we're looking at the natural weaning age for humans to be around two and a half years to seven years old. What do other breastfeeding experts say? If you look at someone like Kelly Bonyata, who runs kellymom.com on that website, it talks about self-weaning happens when a child is typically well over a year old, more commonly over two years old. They're at the point where they get most of their nutrition from solids, they can drink independently from a cup, and they've cut down on nursing gradually. So if a child ends breastfeeding abruptly, if they're not getting their nutrition and liquids from somewhere else, something else is going to be going on. And we often term that a nursing strike. So a nursing strike is a temporary response to other factors. It could be illness, particularly something causing oral pain, something like hand, foot and mouth disease, for example, where the blisters are making it uncomfortable to breastfeed. It could be that there's another negative association between the breast that's developed suddenly. Quite a common trigger for a nursing strike is a biting incident. So typically a nursling bites a parent, the parent yelps, the child is completely freaked out, which leaves the parent feeling terrible because they completely blame themselves for having frightened their child and it leaves the child feeling very wary of coming back to the breast again. A really tough situation for everyone to be in. I have written a couple of articles about nursing strikes and breast refusal which you can find online if you want to delve into that a bit more deeply or if you're going through that yourself at the moment. What gets really complicated when we're talking about the definition of weaning is that sometimes nursing strikes do stick. Not often, especially if a child is younger and they were previously breastfeeding frequently, breastfeeding will often resume. But if a child is older, if they were maybe only breastfeeding a couple of times a day, if they didn't particularly have an emotional attachment to the breast, if they weren't dependent on the breast for sleep, for example, they may not resume breastfeeding even after that fairly abrupt ending. I've known some nurslings to restart after 10 days, sometimes after a few weeks. I've known some nurslings who resume breastfeeding, but sort of partially. And what I mean by that is that they may breastfeed maybe when they're asleep or at nap time, but they don't want to initiate breastfeeding when they're awake and alert. But, you know, do we call that child-led weaning? Do we call that self-weaning? It's really hard for a parent to know when to give up trying, especially when all the literature is saying, oh, you know, it's going to be, this is a nursing strike. This isn't self-weaning. You're essentially saying to a parent, you've got to keep going. You shouldn't accept this as the end of breastfeeding. Self-weaning is not always easy for a parent anyway but it's especially tough when it seems to come out of nowhere and it seems to be abrupt, like through a strike, for example. Is it possible that a parent whose child has initially had a nursing strike and then not resume breastfeeding, can they use that term, self-weaning? I mean, I guess who gets to kind of gatekeep that term, self-weaning? Who makes the definitions and controls them? And I've met some parents who really struggle to know what definitions they're almost allowed to use, allowed being in inverted commas. So I spoke to a mum that I interviewed for one of my recent books who described herself as having a child that self-weaned. She very much believed that. Then she did her training as a peer supporter. And in her training, she was repeatedly given the message that children do not self-wean under two years old. And then she started to look back on her own breastfeeding journey with this real sense of grief and loss that she had not previously experienced. 
she really felt like she'd failed, that she should have encouraged her child to breastfeed for longer because this external definition that she was being told did not fit with her own experience. And I think we need to be really, really careful when we suggest that there is a concrete minimum age for self-weaning. Uh, on my Instagram reels, you can find a conversation with someone I had recently. This is mid-July with someone called Liz. Her two children both self-weaned under 18 months. And I defy you to listen to that conversation and not feel that she is entitled to use the term self-weaning because those children really did gradually wind down and choose to come to an end themselves. Sometimes even when self-weaning is welcomed by a parent, even if it's nothing to do with the nursing strike, it's absolutely, you know, the parent's proud that that's what their child is doing. They feel really good that their child is taking the lead. There can still sometimes be unexpected emotions for the parent and emotional consequences. And I spoke to peer supporter Hannah about her weaning experience. Hannah Barker, thank you very much for joining me. It's really great to talk to you about your breastfeeding experience. You're actually a peer supporter, aren't you? A breastfeeding peer supporter. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, and a trainee breastfeeding counsellor, which I absolutely love. Brilliant. So you're going to be able to talk about this from different perspectives. But today we're focusing very much on your personal breastfeeding journey and what happened with your daughter. Tell me about how her breastfeeding journey ended and, and how that was for you. So she... At about 18 months, I thought she was just never going to stop. Like she was feeding back like when she was a newborn. So I thought, oh, maybe I'd always plan to let her wean herself. But I I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to end up having to sort of lead this myself. At, at about 18 months, I thought she'll be going forever if I don't stop her. Um, and then at about 20 months, she sort of stopped feeding to sleep. She'd have her bedtime feed and then she'd just climb off and get into her cot which was again a bit unheard of because she hadn't really slept in her cot ever it was quite an expensive laundry basket you know um, <laughs> <laughs> so she just got in and went to sleep and I was a bit like oh okay that, that that's odd but that carried on so before that you'd been bed sharing had you or yes you'd yeah been... we bed shared from when she was about three or four weeks old we tried her next to me but she just wouldn't settle and we just couldn't get any sleep any other way so we just thought we'll just roll with this so she had been in with us for yeah basically till she was nearly two gosh what was it do you think on that day that made her kind of point to the laundry basket and say that's where I want to sleep was there any, anything special happened that day what what was the transition do you think um I'm not sure I just I think she had stopped nap. She stopped napping, and she'd stopped feeding to sleep for her naps, obviously, because she didn't nap anymore. Um, and I think maybe to her, like falling asleep was something she sort of did at the breast. And then when she stopped napping in the day, she just kind of that. I don't know whether that sleep association kind of changed for her, maybe. But she, yeah, she just all of a sudden decided no I'm done and she settled herself to sleep and that was I, I I did actually cry that evening because I thought oh this is this is not quite what I, was, I liked the bedtime feed it was like one of my favorite feeds to do so it was like oh my favorite feed's now gone like what am I gonna do now <laughs> oh that must have been really tough so 
it's funny how even when you're half thinking, oh, I'm not sure I can carry on like this forever, when it actually does come that they take the lead, you had that emotional reaction that yeah, was, complete, it was a lot. completely it su- natural. It surprised me a little bit. So, um, so yeah, then she, at about two, again, she just stopped. Fe- she started sleeping through the night. It was just like all of a sudden she just, I woke up one morning and she'd not woken up at all to feed. and And I was... Um, a bit surprised I thought that's going to be a fluke that's going to be a fluke she's not going to do that again and then she just carried on not waking up in the night for her for her night feeds and again we'd she'd always been awake two or three times into toddlerhood to have a feed and then back to sleep. So that night that she stayed in her cot did she from then on always not have a bedtime feed was that was that that was it then yeah from that she, moment? she would feed before she went to sleep but she would never feed to sleep anymore she just okay. she would unlatch herself and then climb into bed and then go to sleep so she kind of changed I guess changed that association like it settled her but then she felt that she could go to sleep on her own and then she was waking up during the night. You were coming through when she was in her cot. Yep, yep. Taking her out, feeding her, putting her back Running in back. the cot again. Is yeah, okay. Yeah, that must have been a bit hard for you because if someone who's used to co-sleeping and you know feeding half awake, you had to like physically get up. I and... have to wake up properly. Yeah, <laughs> which was yeah, it was a big shock to the system. I remember like in the newborn days when I was trying to settle her and put her into her crib, and she just wasn't having any of it, and it was that kind of you have to be a properly awake to deal with these things or if you know when we were when we were triple feeding sometimes I'd have to get up to make formula and you have to wake yourself properly up and it's it completely unsettles you as well because trying to go back to sleep when you're properly awake is a lot harder yeah that's intense so so that morning you woke up and she hadn't woken up did you rush to the cot to make sure she was okay how did you feel yeah because I, I think I did wake up before her so I was a little bit like oh is she like, is she okay? Is she all right? And then she was just, yeah, I woke her, she sort of woke up when I got there kind of thing. And she was just, yeah. And then after that, it was, yeah, she would sometimes wake up before me, but generally she'd just, yeah, just sleep through. It was only um, probably if she was ill or if she was teething or anything, she might obviously wake up. But even then she wouldn't, wouldn't want feeding back to sleep. She'd want to cuddle rather than feeding back to sleep at that point. I would offer and she wasn't interested. Wow. So she's two at this point. Uh, yes. Yeah, two. Yep. Yeah. And in the day, what's happening with her breastfeeding? Um, she obviously had dropped her nap feed. So that was one that had gone. But she was by this point, I think she was mostly feeding just in the morning when we, she woke up and then before bed, before she went to sleep. And then would occasionally have one in the day if she had fallen over and hurt herself or if she needed to regulate because it was so bit she'd had a, we'd had a busy day or something but generally it was only two or three feeds during the day by this point and short ones at that as well wow so you never really had to take any kind of lead around ending the breastfeeding you literally did nothing yeah I just yeah if, if anything I tried to get her to feed more sometimes and she just wasn't having it it was very much she had decided that this was what she wanted to do and she was happy and comfortable with that and she just yeah and I couldn't really have asked for an easier or nicer end really because she it was very much I always wanted her to wean herself and and that is what happened yeah and as a breastfeeding supporter you definitely had no sort of 
noise around you telling you that you had to end breastfeeding at a certain time you were you know obviously well educated about the reasons to continue so yep, I was more than it wasn't like there to. was no no pressure from you in this no, at all and nothing. no no she wasn't getting noise from anyone else around her to no, tell her to stop breastfeeding um, her dad's been amazingly supportive he would have you know he would continue to support me however long I fed her like originally like her grandparents some of them were a little bit dubious about the breastfeeding because they hadn't breastfed themselves and they obviously had a bit of uncomfortable around that but after a while they never mentioned it or never said anything about that my mum fed my siblings a couple of them till they were two so again I had that around I, I had had that around me when I was growing up so to me it was quite natural to carry on as long as she wanted to so you're down to this morning feed and pre-bedtime feed and tell me about how that those feeds finally drifted away and ended again it was just one morning she woke up and she said mommy can we go for breakfast and she didn't she didn't ask to feed and I was like okay maybe she'll eat and then she'll have a feed and and she didn't and that was how that one dropped the next day was the same it was just the pre-bedtime feed and the next day was the same so we were down, I think, for the last, I think that was probably when she was about two and three months by this point, I think. And she, yeah, she just got up, wanted to have actual breakfast. And then then that was that. That was that one. That, that's that feed gone. The last, I'd say, three months, she was quite on and off. The last, I think, six weeks, she didn't even feed every day necessarily in the evening she she kind of dropped down to every other day and one yeah one day I just I realized when I woke up the next morning she didn't feed before bed either so she hadn't had that feed either and again the next that day she then fed in the evening but then it was it it was two days then it was three days so it was the bed like the pre-bedtime feed that went last and I think the longest she went before she stopped was about five days. And I thought, oh, this is the end now. Like, we're nearly at two and a half. She's decided she's not going to feed anymore. I wasn't really prepared or ready for it. I thought, you know, lots of people continue with the bedtime feed for a really, really long time when it's their last feed. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe we will just have the bedtime feed for however long, you know, when she goes to nursery and stuff. And that one then sort of dwindled out as well um and then after the five days she then did feed and I was like oh okay maybe she's coming back and I think she fed two two times that day because she'd fallen over or something like that so she'd fed two times I thought oh maybe she's sort of maybe it was more like a, a nursing stroke than she's done um and then we went 10 days and then there was nothing after that she I was uh, when we got to 10 days I thought this is by far the longest she's gone I don't I don't think she's coming back now and and she didn't so that was that was the end we had to fight at the beginning of our journey and I didn't want to fight for the end either so it was a really it was a really gentle ending for both of us really yeah and the, and the way you describe having kind of a couple of days and a few days is a a really good representation of how self-weaning does go that's so common and people often don't know when the last feed was do you have in your head when, what the last feed was did you think at the time this could be the last feed I had been putting it in my calendar when she had a feed when we started to get down to two or three days I was like right I'm going to put it in my calendar so I know so um she her very last feed was July the 16th last year so just over yeah. just over a year ago now 
And while you were having that feed, were you thinking in your head, this could be the last one? How did that feel? It was really hard. I did have like a lot of the time when I was having those feeds, I was really, really treasuring them because I thought I'm not going to do this again. This is this possibly is the last time I'm going to do this. And um, as I was a, a bit blindsided almost by her stopping, it was very much, you know, I would have carried on quite happily. So um, I did shed a few tears. But again, like I say, I was really glad that it did end on her terms and that she was comfortable and happy to stop when she did. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the easiest, like even though it was how I would have wanted it to finish, that I still had a lot of emotion around it. And there's always that sort of hormonal change as well, which I think I did cry for pretty much daily, I think, for about a month after. Yeah. Just I just felt very down and very low and everyone noticed as well. But after that I it picked back up. Yeah, oh Hannah, I'm sorry, that sounds tough. And you know, as you alluded to, there's a hormonal change. You're losing that oxytocin. You're losing those oxytocin pulses that you were getting throughout yeah, the, yeah. the day. And also saying goodbye to a phase of your life, saying goodbye to, you know, being a breastfeeding mum, which is which is tough, especially when that wasn't necessarily, you know, I know it was your choice in one way, but not your choice in another way. Yeah. It's a real sort of dilemma, isn't it? You're being pulled from two different directions. It, yeah, definitely how it felt being pulled in two different directions, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you cried that first night when she didn't have a bedtime feed. When you were upset in the following days, was it provoked by her not wanting a feed or was it just happening at other times in the day more more generally? Um, yeah, it was just sort of generally and sometimes like if, if for example, I'd see a, a picture or, or of us in the early days or anything like that, some things like that would sort of trigger it a little bit. Like like you say, it's the end of an era, isn't it? It's, it's that, that loss of of something that you had and that has been a big you know obviously I did I've been peer supporting and training as a breastfeeding counsellor so breastfeeding was is a massive part of my life so that it did definitely feel like the end of an era yeah yeah no well I'm sure people listening to this would really really feel for you with that but also I mean amazing achievement to have breastfed for you know two two and a half years or so and then and to end that so peacefully and lovingly is something you should be really really proud of and I hope looking back you you really are proud of that just in terms of your physical health did you obviously you ended very gently so I'm guessing you didn't experience a lot of engorgement or breast health issues I mean how did that go yeah that was I again I'm quite grateful for that I never really had any points where I was um, engorged or uncomfortable and had blocked ducts or anything I did occasionally leak a little bit if so, like I heard a baby cry or something when she stopped feeding I will say but besides that you know health wise it was it again it probably was the best way that I could have could have gone about it actually yeah and then after that gap of five days when she was feeding again did she seem to be taking milk I mean how did your supply gradually diminish did you have a sense of when your production ended um she by the time she started when she had a big gap so the five days or whatever when she would latch on it didn't particularly feel like she was latched very well and it was a little bit uncomfortable so I'm not I feel like at that point she might have not been getting very much and she did occasionally say there's nothing there mummy mummy where is it gone so I think that at that point it had definitely got to the, I don't know whether there was still a little bit and she just because she was latched oddly she couldn't get it or whether 
because I could hand express some, but she seemed to struggle to get it herself. So I don't know whether it was her latch at that point that had kind of made it harder for her to get any milk. But she didn't she didn't seem fussed either way. I think it was as much for comfort at that point as as any kind of nutrition. She she just liked being at the breast. And presumably as a peer supporter, kind of the breastfeeding world is very much around you. Does she ever talk about breastfeeding? Is it something you ever have a conversation about? Yeah, she does. Like if she's not very well or something, she'll cuddle up to my my breasts and she will be she will say, Oh, this makes me feel better or you know, she does and she always says, You fed me like that when she sees other babies and she's um she feeds her babies that way as well. She you know, she she tandem feeds sometimes. <laughs> which is something I never did, obviously, but she she sometimes has two or three babies on her at a time. So, yeah, she to her, it is completely natural. Yeah, she she's around it because she comes to the groups and she loves seeing babies fed that way as well. She she likes to watch them being fed and she's always, oh, the baby's having milkies. And it's just, yeah, it's nice. Oh, that's lovely. That's really sweet. So is there anything you want to say to anyone who's listening to this thinking, you know, how does it feel to be a self-weaning mum? Is it something I should wait for my child to take the lead on? Is it, is, should I end breastfeeding if I'm struggling? I mean, what messages would you give to someone if they're trying to make a decision about whether self-weaning is right for them? Yeah, I think the main thing is, is that you're both happy with it. If, if obviously, if you're not happy with it, you, you could make some changes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be all or nothing. Like, you can maybe pick a feed that you don't particularly enjoy and say get rid of that for example and see if that makes it any better because there was the odd feed that I didn't particularly enjoy and I was glad when she dropped it (laughs) but yeah it's not right for everybody obviously but if if you think that you could do it and that you're still enjoying breastfeeding and that you don't there's not a feed that you dislike or it's not making you uncomfortable or averse or anything then for me it was the most natural and gentle way and I think if I probably if I had tried to wean her myself I might have looked back and wished that I didn't do it that way personally um I think this was the right way for us but it's not going to be the right way for everybody but for me I feel happy with the way it ended and content that 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 it's gone this way um and I think if I'd tried to stop her and then we'd stop I might have had the same emotions of feeling sad and regret about it um and I wouldn't have been able to go back and do anything about it so this for me this, there's no regrets here yeah that is a nice place to be so I'm sure there's some people listening to this who are quite jealous of you yeah the people hoping it will happen to them yeah, thank definitely. you so much Anna for sharing your experience really appreciated and uh, yeah good luck with the rest of your training thank you very much I'm one of the one of the trainers on the breastfeeding council of course so I will definitely be keeping an eye out for you good luck <laughs> thank you very much To be perfectly honest, I'm not sure that there is such a thing as pure child-led weaning. And if we hold it up as a goal, it may not necessarily be very helpful. There is always a spectrum. Along the way, parents will be introducing solid food. They will be offering cups with other fluids, including other milks. Parents go out for the evening. They go and spend time with their friends away from their children. They might even go away for a weekend. 
parents go back to work and sometimes their child is cared for by other adults and those other carers comfort their children in different ways and help them get back to sleep in different ways. Even the most child-led, focused parent sometimes has to go to the toilet, sometimes has to suggest that a feed happens later. And as nurslings get older, negotiation in a breastfeeding relationship is completely normal and is good because it's helping little children to understand that other people have needs. It's helping to develop their sense of empathy and their understanding that their needs cannot always come first. You know, sometimes parents feel like offering a cuddle instead of a breastfeed. Sometimes they would prefer not to feed in a particular location or at a particular time. They may not want to feed in public any longer. Any negotiation in a breastfeeding relationship is a parental nudge in the direction of weaning. It's also true that children pick up on cultural messaging. They see who is breastfeeding around them. They see who is depicted breastfeeding in books and on telly. And they're often going to pick up on conscious comments from other adults and certainly unconscious micro expressions and expressions. It's not great, but we cannot entirely protect our children who live in a society where natural term breastfeeding is not necessarily perceived as normal. So it's very difficult to write the definition of child-led weaning in stone. I talked previously about the fact you can't pin it down to a particular age, but I'm not sure that concept of child-led weaning in general is something you can pin down in stone. Weaning is always a spectrum. You know, at one end of that spectrum, you've got a mother who's staying at home, continuing to breastfeed responsibly 24 hours a day, doesn't introduce bottles or artificial nipples. Solid food is introduced, but they take great efforts not to move on to solids too quickly or make solids a priority too quickly. They may be absolutely adamant that their child will get to breastfeed for as long as they want to. They resist external pressures. They protect their child from the comments of others. They co-sleep and their child is absolutely the, the leader in the weaning process. You know, sometimes in the breastfeeding advocacy space, it can feel like this is the type of weaning that we are supposed to do, that we're being encouraged to do. And I think those of us who are really passionate about supporting natural term breastfeeding have to be really careful we don't idealize this image of child-led weaning as the perfect state of the way to end breastfeeding. You know, we're living in a world where parents are under an enormous amount of pressure. We do see posts on social media saying things like, you know, every child weans at their own pace and normalize nursing to natural terms. Self-weaning happens between two and seven years old. Or you might have a poem online which says something like, the only view that matters is yours and yours alone. And we've got lots of images of, of natural term feeding and child-led weaning as the aspiration. And, you know, that's natural when we're trying really hard to normalize continuing to breastfeed beyond infancy. I think we're in this sort of recorrection state right now. We've just really started to get to grips with using breastfeeding online and conversations about breastfeeding online as a space to, to really promote the idea that we can breastfeed our children beyond infancy. But we perhaps haven't quite rebalanced to realize that that needs to exist alongside a place where parents can breastfeed as long as they want to and stop breastfeeding when they want to. You know, we've, we've got a home now for longer term breastfeeding, which is bloody brilliant. But if you are a mother of a two and a half year old who's breastfeeding and you're absolutely wretched and miserable and desperate to end breastfeeding, it's not always comfortable to come into that world 
where child-led weaning is very idealised. We need to make spaces where we normalise natural term breastfeeding and spaces for child-led weaning and at the same time support parents to practice parent-led weaning if that's what they really want to do. Sometimes when parents look for information about how to practice parent-led weaning, they really struggle. They are often signposted to abrupt techniques where they're encouraged to leave their child and not provide emotional support during the process and leave it up to another adult. Or maybe even techniques where they're encouraged to not be honest and authentic with their child, stuff like putting chili oil on nipples or nail biting solution on nipples. Sometimes people get signposted to a technique called don't offer, don't refuse. And that's described as a weaning technique. Honestly, I'm not sure that don't offer, don't refuse is a weaning technique. I think it's a type of child led weaning. I don't describe it as a weaning technique. It puts the parent in a very passive role in the breastfeeding relationship. It gives them zero agency over their own body. I suspect that Don't Offer, Don't Refuse was created by somebody who was not currently feeding a 23-month-old who asks to breastfeed every 30 to 40 minutes during the day, including when you're in the supermarket queue and driving on the motorway and stir-frying noodles and trying to care for a newborn. I'm also not sure it was created by somebody who was struggling with aversion. I'm not sure it was created by somebody who had nipple pain because they were pregnant or somebody that was trying to work full time or certainly by someone who wanted to stop breastfeeding in the short term or medium term. Even the language in don't offer, don't refuse does make me feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, don't offer. Why not? Why can't you offer as part of the weaning process? You know, the weaning journey is about a parent taking control of the feeding relationship and deciding their boundaries. You are modeling body autonomy. You are demonstrating that these are your breasts and this is your body. And sometimes you get to decide when a feed is initiated. You might want to offer because in the next hour, you know, you've got to do something. You know, you want to feed in a particular location. Now just feels like the right time. If a parent is taking control of the timing of the feeds, that is sending some messages about the fact that they have agency over this breastfeeding situation. And that second part of the phrase, don't refuse. Refuse is not a friendly word, is it? It's not a word that suggests love and kindness. It suggests selfishness and maybe even a bit of brutality. You know, every parent, even the ones who aren't necessarily moving to ending breastfeeding, have a right to decline a breastfeed or negotiate around a breastfeed. What messages are we sending about someone having agency of their own body if every single feed request has to be complied with, if you literally cannot say no, if you are not allowed to refuse? You know, even a mother who doesn't intend to take any lead at all over the end of breastfeeding may sometimes need to say to their child, actually, actually, do you mind if we don't breastfeed right now? You know, I've got these particular personal reasons why I'd, why I'd prefer to defer. Is that OK with you? You know, being a gentle parent means encouraging a child to develop that sense of empathy and to start them on a journey of being a caring and emotionally intelligent little person. And we do that by using this first intimate relationship to help our child understand that we have feelings too. You know, if we say to a child, you know, do you mind if we don't breastfeed right now? Is it okay if we read a book and have a cuddle instead? Even if the child gets angry and cross about that, you can still move forward and saying, yeah, I know, I know you want to feed now. I, I hear what you're saying, but if you don't mind, I'd really like to wait till a little bit later. You know, that conversation is not an inappropriate conversation for even the most gentle, loving parent to have with their child. 
you know, putting boundaries in place and being honest about how we feel is how relationships work. So I'm not a fan of don't offer, don't refuse as a weaning technique. But for lots of parents, that's all they find online. If they don't want to leave their child with great aunt Nelly for two nights, don't offer, don't refuse seems to be the only thing they're allowed to do. We need to give parents more information about supporting the end of breastfeeding. And if we don't, we create horror stories. You know, I have come across parents who are adamant that they're going to end breastfeeding at 12 months or under 12 months because the idea of breastfeeding a toddler or an older child is too terrible. They might have seen someone else go through it or they might have really struggled themselves with their first child. And if we don't discuss weaning techniques openly, parents sometimes end up being attracted to techniques that clash with their own parenting philosophy. You know, these are people who've often breastfed for many months, even years. You know, they want to continue to emotionally support their child, but they're not being offered techniques that allow them to do that. You know, as breastfeeding supporters, we have a responsibility to support weaning because that means women are having agency over their own bodies. You know, you cannot talk about rights to contraception and abortion rights and rights to medical care for menopause or endometriosis and ignore the fact that a woman ending breastfeeding is an extension of that same conversation. You know, when babies are born, we naturally focus on the human rights of the baby and their right to breast milk. But over time, as nurslings get older, you know, those rights shift. And we're talking about a woman's right to have control over what she does with her body. So when we support mother-led weaning, we are being feminists. Okay, a bit more on types of weaning. Partial weaning is something that is useful to talk about. Lots of people think that weaning has to be an all or nothing process. Now, again, the definition of partial weaning is going to vary in different homes, but essentially the breast is only available at certain times and the parent decides when that is. Now, some people just call that breastfeeding because that's how breastfeeding always continues. It always continues with a bit of negotiation. But that word partial weaning maybe gives some people permission to put some restrictions in place. So you're going to restrict breastfeeding possibly to a certain location. You might say to your child that they can only breastfeed in a bedroom or in a particular chair, or they can only now breastfeed at home. You might say that breastfeeding now only happens at certain times. You breastfeed in the morning at nap time and bedtime, but not during the day at other times. Now that's going to mean that there are other co-regulation techniques and other connection activities are going to need to be inserted into that scenario. We can't simply have a no. We need to make sure that those needs are being met in other ways as well. Because when a child asks for a breastfeed, they are asking for their needs to be met. And if you're partially weaning, you're going to need to think about where do those asks come from and what are the alternative ways that those needs can be met. You know, partial weaning is not just a no, because if you do a no, it's like putting up a brick wall. You always need to offer doors through that brick wall. So you might say, well, the next breastfeed is going to be at this particular time. So now instead, do you want to do this or this? So we're going to give them some choices. We're going to help them feel a sense of agency. It's not just a no. It's not just a brick wall that leaves them feeling disempowered and, and humiliated and angry. You know, we're going to possibly need to shake things up a little bit at home around the different activities that we're offering. It may be that this is an older toddler now who's ready for different kinds of imaginative play. You might need to start to think a bit more imaginatively about ways that you can play connectively with your child. We'll pause there for now, and in the next episode, we'll talk about night weaning. 
thank you for joining me today. You can find me on Instagram at Emma Pickett IBCLC and on Twitter at Makes Milk. It would be lovely if you subscribed because that helps other people to know I exist and leaving a review would be great as well. Get in touch if you would like to join me to share your feeding or weaning journey or if you have any ideas for topics to include in the podcast. This podcast is produced by the lovely Emily Crosby Media.